You are listening to PD in Pajamas, the only podcast where you can get professional development credit in your underwear. Our mission is to provide teachers with quality professional development on the go. Learn from real teachers and experts on topics that you care about. Listen anytime, anywhere. Enjoy season one, classroom management. Well, Aaron, thanks for uh, being uh, here with me. So uh, do you mind giving us just a little background of your experience and um, what you've done in education so far? Just a little headline. You bet. Um, I uh, wanted to be a dentist when I, when I was growing up, so I was actually a dental assistant, took science classes and stuff, and uh, through life experiences realized that I like working with people and teaching people more so than uh, dealing with money and, and pulling stuff out of people's mouth. Um, I actually had a, an, one of those amazing epiphany moments where I went to an education course, talked into it by my dad on campus at Boise State, and realized that was my calling in life. Um, easy, easy clap, as they say, uh, for me to to realize I don't have to make a choice anymore. It's what I'm supposed to do. And so education was from then on out. Got my first job uh, at North Junior High teaching physical science, which I did not know what that was. My major was earth science, but I was actually teaching with my principal from high school. So I knew her as my vice principal in high school, met her and said, aren't you the person who was in, in high school? And she's like, aren't you the person who was a student? Nice. And so I got hired to uh, be on a team at North Junior High. And I did not ever not teach on a team. So that was a blessing for me, teaching the same students that the math, the social studies, and English teacher taught. We met every day and talked about our students. Um, highly recommend that. It's an incredible way for, for professional support uh, the kids see it and time to make all the connections you could ever wish for. So highly, highly recommend it. Uh, I spent six years at North, which had a reverse social economic curve. So it had all the foothills of Boise and all the homeless shelters. Not a whole lot of in between. Okay. Uh, when I went to South, uh, a little bit different learning environment, we did uniforms there to help control some of the things that, that were going on and did lots of teaming there and, and uh, the school changed incredibly. Uh, it was a neat experience to be part of that and to see that change uh, over time. A um, little bit of history on what else I did. Um, like I said, I did not know what physical science was. So the way I learned about that was I went, and it's, it's basically physics and chemistry. I went to the library and got every book there was, pre-K all the way through the College Curriculum Resource Center at Boise State, all the college books on, let's say, electricity. And I would open them up and look to see if that same thing was taught in every book from the primary books to the middle age level books to the high school books, then that became a learning objective for me. Um, and then after I found these learning objectives, I realized how am I going to teach them and then found ways to engage students in teaching them in really fun ways with lots of labs. Um, so I basically wrote uh, learning goals, performance objectives, whatever you want to call them, because there was nothing handed to me that said teach this. We didn't have that back then. And so because of that work, I got my master's degree in curriculum and instruction, helped write the uh, Boys School District test for the end of course exam for physical science when that started happening, and uh, the supplement to the standards in 2001 um, for science and, uh, and some of those things, and so some of the state tests here for science and stuff also. So learned a lot through that experience of basically figuring out what's the most important thing. It's in every book. Um, and how am I going to deliver that in a way that's going to be engaging to students? Wow. That's, you know, and you say that sometimes uh, that pre, 
given uh, standards and, and ass- assessments that a lot of curriculums you can purchase now, a lot of people use that. But I think there's still a lot of districts around that don't have that. A lot of people still are thrown into the classroom without any resources, and they have to take a process similar as yours, I've, though yours seems very thorough. But I think still, even in this year, you know, teachers are thrown into a classroom. All right, teach math. Teach, there, I don't give you any. You don't have any resources. You don't have anything. Just go ahead and do it. I still think that happens. Uh, I don't know if you see that oh, in, in the state at all still, but I still I see that in some in some classes. Yep, there are some districts that do that. There are some page turner districts that have spent millions of dollars where. Um, one curriculum director told me he thought about all the third grade teachers he had in his district, about 36 of them, and only four teachers had the ability to integrate lessons uh, with math and social studies and English and stuff. And that used to be a skill all our elementary friends had, which is was no longer. So, so that skill has been taken over by the curriculum a lot of times. But then there are people like, well, I don't have anything. It's My book's 20 years old. Well, there's still stuff in there that's, that's good. And what can you take out of it as you shift? So I think a lot of it is... If you know how to teach, then you can find what to teach, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. And so the um, personal touchstone story for me, and I started teaching in 96, so it must have been 99 when um, I was asked by the American Physics Teachers Association to, to tell, uh, give a workshop, a lesson, a, a story, whatever, on how I do what I do, what I did, what I what I did. Um, and I did a lot of research and preparation for it and realized that I love the learning cycle. But no one taught it to me in high school. No one taught it to me in college. And that's the engagement piece. That's getting kids involved, giving them a chance to mess around with the material, the, the stuff, let it boil around, percolate inside, experiment with it, see what they know, and, and try that iteration all over again. Um, and so that's, that's huge, huge for me. Um, and if you know that, then I think I would teach anything um, the same way. Hey, this is this engaging thing where we don't really know the answer, but I want to know what you know about it. Let's build on that together and let's see where it carries us as we look towards these goals of learning these big things in this in this content direction. So those those overlapping themes that go across all areas are going to be uh, essential to know about more so than curriculum and I would say even content. Well, and even it it kind of leads into the discussion where buying the software is not always the best solution. And a lot of times we feel like, oh, we need this. We need this to, for our students. But really what you're saying is, is we just need to focus on that learning cycle and focus on being a good teacher. We, we, uh, we being the teachers, uh, physical science teachers, got together when it was time to adopt a new textbook. And we told the, the school district, save the millions of dollars that it will take because we don't use the textbook. Um, none of the teachers did at the table. We shared things all the time. It was a very, very open group where we shared all the, we literally took professional development days and watched each other and gathered materials and brought it to big notebooks and shared table to table about what we were doing, focusing on all those things, sharing all those goals, sharing rubrics and performance assessments, which was a really neat opportunity. So we said, save the money for next year or whatever, because we don't really need it. We'd rather take it as professional development and support each other. Um, and that was, that was teacher driven, you know, that was a big deal. And they're like, we may, you may not ever get the money back. Like, well, you may not ever get us back if you lose us in the curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, a common misconception. And I remember just in my mind when I was, 
the chalkboard has evolved so much, but I thought smart boards were, were the best thing in my undergrad. We worked with smart boards. I knew how to teach with smart boards. I had all these great lessons. And I get to a district where I have basically a whiteboard or a chalkboard, not even a projector. And I'm like, I have this feeling like I needed this technology to connect, but being forced away from it was probably one of the most healthy things about developing as a teacher. So going back not too many years ago, do you remember uh, your first teaching position and your first day on the job? How did how did that go? Do you remember what it was like or how you uh, felt? No, not at all, actually. <laughs> that was more than a few years ago. Um, I remember you, uh, I assume all teachers get stressed out the last couple of days of summer as you prepare. Um, and I want... I, I know teenagers' brains. I mean, you got to know, look at brain research. If you're, if you're a teacher and you're not looking at brain research, you're, you're messing up. You, you got to go find out the brain research about yeah. what kids need at the age level you're working at. I worked at that, that teenage level of eighth, ninth grade um, and what they need and how to access what they were doing and stuff. So it was, I would say, two solid weeks of something so fun every day that they loved me. They wanted to participate. They wanted to come to science and we're doing stuff. So, yes, it was you know, content, but at the same time, I'm getting to know them in ways that were explicit and making sure that I knew every kid's name and something about them. By the end of two weeks, I played basketball with them, went on a long walk with them. Um, I asked them to do something for me in the classroom. So I had a specific moment with each kid, um, explicitly knew their name. I had letters written to them. You know, they wrote letters to me, underlined, highlighted. I know about their summer. I knew about their, how many dogs they have and all those things. Um, they knew all that about me. We had that open relationship so that we could go further and they trusted me knowing that I'm going to mess up. I'm really, really nervous about this year, but, uh, I need you as an educational consultant. And so I had those kids and I'd say, I need educational consultants, kid would raise their hand or he called the, the kid who's the hardest and say, here's the test. Here's what I'm doing tomorrow. What do you think? And they tell me straight up, this sucks or we're excited or, we have no idea how this is going to work, but thanks for inviting us back here. Um, so on the first day of school, asking for educational consultants to say, I want to share this rubric with you tomorrow. Here's my idea of having no rules and just one rule of be nice. What do you think? <laughs> you know, and kids, kids going, what? Only one rule? I'm like, yeah, what do you think? And, you know, I want this poster made of, of this, but I'm not sure how to do it. Well, we, we would make it like this. Great. Why don't you guys help me? Here's the paint and the poster, you know, so that getting them involved. And finding ways to do that made me very, very nervous. Um, but that's that's what I spent my time on. And, and you and don't so. you don't see that kind of. I still don't see a whole lot of it. We try to get kids more involved in that uh, repetitive talking point. I think by administrators and and in conferences and things. But one thing you said, I asked about like your first day, and one thing you mentioned was you were playing basketball or going hanging out with the kids. How did that translate into, you know, your first few years of teaching? How did, do you get, you must've got some results because you remember it, you know, seems to be very clear. Yeah, I did. I did break duty for 22 years, lunch duty for 22 years. So as soon as the bell rang, I went out there with them and I would sit with the kids, literally sit with the kids. Hey guys, can I sit with you? Uh, sure, dude. I didn't know them. You know, they didn't know me cause it was a mixed groups, you know, different age levels. Um, and then play basketball with them and go play football with them and go hang out with them and sit with the kids who are picking, you know, the, the dandelions and say, Hey, what's up? What do you mean? What's up? <laughs> just hang guys. What do you guys think? What's going on? And we'd have a conversation and, you know, with those touchstones and to say, Hey, the language you use, I don't quite appreciate that. And it represents this. I think you have a weak mind and 
I think you're smarter than that. So I think you could use better language than what you're using right now. Can, can you guys help me out and tomorrow be a better person? So when I talk to you, um, can you give me a better word than what you use just now? I'm not going to get mad at them. I'm going to help them grow. So, I mean, those type of things when, and then, you know, to talk to the kid two years later, who I had that conversation with in my class going, I remember you, you're the guy who shook my hand and told me to come up with better words. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. You know? Yeah. You didn't get mad at me, but, yeah, I still was like, that was weird, dude, you know? So to have someone say you're weird, dude, but not call me a mister and actually talk about it and not be upset about it was pretty cool, you know, so that type of thing. So even when they're not my students, you got to have that relationship. So number one rule, you should work and live where you live and work. So you have to be nice to the kids, treat them like real people because you live where they live and you're going to see them in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and want to be able to talk to them on a regular level. Hey, you know, like, sorry, my dog just pooped in your yard. Oh, that's okay, Mr. McKinney. You can't control your dog, you know, and have that conversation yeah. when they see you at Albertsons or wherever and, and they want to talk to you. Yeah. Well, it kind of stands back uh, is that we've talked about relationships a lot in classroom management and how to build relationships. And I think people are looking for some magical formula or some people are looking for a magical program that you can pay thousands of dollars for. But it, it is as simple as some of the things that you mentioned, by going to walk with the kid who's picking dandelions, I think you said, or playing basketball with them or sitting at lunch. Or I would even say as simple as greeting them at the door and saying their name. Oh, yeah. Like even yep. that is basic is, is what helps build relationships. High five every day when they walked in the door. Yep. High five. You're not a handshake. You're a high fiver. Uh, high five or fist bump, whatever the uh, the things changed over time. I remember when fist bumps happened, and I was like, "This is weird," but I, I I can hang with it. And now, whatever it will be with this next this new thing. But yeah, you know, having the poster above the the door saying, "Through this door walks the best students in the world," and believing it. You know, hanging a mirror in your room so when they sharpen the pencil, um, they look at the mirror, and you want them to stay in your room and not leave to go to the bathroom and look at the mirror. Hey, stay here. You're a beautiful person. You know. Uh, Mr. McKenna thinks you're beautiful. Come check your hair out. You know, that, nice. putting that above the mirror in my room by the pencil sharpener, when the kid goes, I want to sharpen my pencil, I can tell him yes or no. Quick, you know, nonverbal, they go over there, I see them check themselves out, and I saved that kid from leaving my room. You know, I kept them, you know, and they're, they're in there, and I want them in there. And I value them like, hey, when you're in here, this classroom is better. And I want you to be here because I value what you bring to my classroom. You know, they, they change when they walk in the door if that's the environment. I, I like the mirror. I'm going to steal that. Um, keeping the mirror that's, by the pencil sharpener. That's research based. <laughs> I asked all my driver's ed students when you're all the girls, 85% of them said they do not go to the bathroom for the bathroom only. They go to the bathroom, check their hair and use the facilities. <laughs> wow. And so you know what? I'm like, uh, I can save. So 15% are going to go, you know, it's just the yeah. way it is. But I can save 85% of those kids in my room by putting a mirror there and it literally says, Mr. McKinnon thinks you're beautiful. You know, go sharpen your pencil. I tell them that at the beginning of the year. So you see the girls go over and do that, and that's fine. You know, that's that's what it's for. No, I had a mirror by my office, and we also had a security camera that walked down the hall, and you could see. And at, working at a middle school, you could you could look at this yep. camera, you could see how many kids <laughs> will stop and just stare at themselves for a while, and then go every single kid, and I might add maybe every teacher. So mirrors can be a powerful thing, and I just never thought of it until now to use it in the classroom. You, you mentioned about school rules. Did you always just keep one rule? 
I know I've heard of um, three or something like that, not more than three. Um, but I like the idea of one rule. Is that is that what you settled on? That's, of it? that's from a friend of mine. We went to a conference together. It was an amazing conference. Eric Jensen, uh, brain research, poverty stuff, um, and uh, it was such an amazing workshop. We we got there early each morning, stayed late each time, you know. And it was one of those things where we just had so many ideas. So that was his thing. One rule. Um, I went to a work hard, be nice, you know, kind of thing, be better. I mean, there's variations of that. For a long time, I did something called helps and sabs, things that help the classroom and things that sabotage the classroom and had the students choose that. It's like, all right, let's identify things that help the classroom and things that sabotage the classroom. And so they were identified by the students. Each period had their own list, kind of came up with them and you can see the general trends and stuff. I'm like, hey, is that helping the classroom or is that sabotaging the classroom? And they knew, and I would say, do I need to talk to you anymore? And I'm like, no, then tell me to get out of your face. Well, I don't want to tell you that. Well, tell me to get out of your face by, by get out of your face by actually doing your work. I get it, okay, I'll do my work, yeah. you know, so. Did, did you ever, um, you always posted that? You, you created it with the kids, and then was it ever not posted, or? You know, it fall down. Usually they don't yeah. need it after a while, but yeah, yeah you know, you hang it up first of the year and stuff, did that for a long time. Always, always that visible reminder. I like the mirror visible reminder more, but I, I think the rules having them up there is a good thing. So in, in your experience of teaching, have you seen the behaviors change of kids or are kids always going to misbehave the same way? Or have you seen a different, um, you know, more difficult behaviors increase over the years or... Um, it kind of depends on the age level, you know, so you're going to see the same things as kids mature with different hormones and stuff like that. But, um, I, I would say, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not intelligent enough or reflective enough to know, to know detail, but I would say every kid wants to know and to be appreciated, you know? So we had kids at our school at South, the teachers who worked there, it's a tough school to work at. If you didn't want to be there, you left. I mean, that's just the way it was. You realize I have to work this hard for these kids and they're crappy kids if you think that way and they're beautiful kids if you think that way. Yeah. So it just depends on your perspective. And so teachers would leave if they had the wrong attitude about about certain kids and stuff. That's just the way it was. Um, and so I would say, no, I mean, so we'd get these kids from, from other schools and they'd be special ed. And they'd come to our class and we go, why are they special ed? They're like every kid that we have. <laughs> but you take a kid from our class and put another school, they're going to be special ed, it seems like. And that's just what the special ed teacher told us, too. He's like, yeah, you guys won't need to see a difference. And so the kid walks in and has the attitude. I'm like, hey, I don't have a pencil. Well, that's fine. There's a pot, there's a you know bunch from right over there. I don't have a notebook. Here's a bunch right here. Well, what do you want me to do? Today we're doing this. Well, how am I supposed to do it? I don't know. How are you going to do it? <laughs> I mean... And yeah. just that conversation, I remember distinctly this kid who, you know, been passed around family to family, all sorts of troubles. Next day came in, he's like, so now what? Same thing. Okay. And it was, that's it. It was one day. And he got kicked out of, what, three different schools and mm. three different families. And it was just like, yeah, here's a pencil. Here's this is what we do in this class. All right. Hey, I need someone to tell him the, the rules and the rubric. Okay, hey, kid. You know, the kid comes over and says, this is what we do in this class. Here we go. You know, the rubric's on the wall. These are the things. Mr. McKinnon likes this. This is how we behave. This is what we do. Those expectations, knowing what they're supposed to do and not making a big deal out of it. Just saying, hey, kid, this is what we do here. And, you know, that's it. Um, you know, I left my room. I left my room all the time. I probably shouldn't have, but 
you know, I'd go down and take a, Hey kid, we need to go make copies and take that kid with me. And like, we talk in the hallway and I asked someone who's going to be in charge. They'd volunteer. I'd pick someone. They're like, okay, you know, get the notes, answer the phone. Yeah, I do it. Yep. We aren't supposed to be class. We couldn't. Oh shoot. Yeah. Well, who's back there watching it? Well, my amazing kids. Well, don't you have problems? No, uh, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> yeah. They work, they work wonderfully well. The administrator to me has no comment to that whatsoever. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it wasn't, you know, I, I realized that in, in retrospect, but you know, it's amazing kids, you know, and I'm sure you spent 80% of your time with 20% of the kids, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the teachers and teachers know who those kids are and you bring those kids with you on the walk or you empower them to say, Hey, I'm leaving for a little bit. And I want you to be in charge. And that's, that get you know, when you give them that power, that's, that's pretty cool. So through, you know, the behavior, I guess it really hasn't changed. Kids are going to be kids for the most part. And I like what you said about spending some time and reading about some brain science and uh, about what age is developing, especially with the frontal lobe and what you can expect between being too rigid or too um, loose uh, with some of your your rigidity. Um, but do you see, has there been like fads in classroom management, like this new hot strategy comes and goes? Because what I think you've said is some things that I consider to be timeless, but have you seen right. some fads come and go uh, through how you should manage the class? Um, I mean, I remember Fred Jones was a big one. That was a district wide one, you know, and I've been proximity to those kids and that works and you drop a name here and there and they get it. So that's, those are two big things. Fred Jones, I remember Harry Wong. I'm a huge fan of clapping to get their attention and doing different signals and stuff like that. So those are two that influenced me. Um, this is a fun story. I had a teacher named Mr. Salaz in Boise. He was a colonel in the military. Mustache, very rigid, very, very aggressive, it seemed like. And when I became a teacher, we we went to a class together. So he actually picked me up in his convertible, Little Triumph, and we had a blast going down to the class, and we goofed off the whole time. And it was a behavior class, behavior management class. And the lady's like, I'm gonna have to use my strategies on you, you know, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have to, you know, recognize you're having a power struggle, you're doing all these things. And we just busted up laughing the whole time. Um, and so it was a blast to realize that teachers are normal and that they don't want to deal with bad kids and kids are normal. They don't want to deal with bad teachers. So if you drop some of those things, um, by being real and stuff, and then you've got those little tricks of the trade, you know, the Harry Wong, get your attention. That's a huge one. Uh, Fred Jones proximity is huge. Dropping names is huge. You do that all the time with, and when you're dealing with adults too, and your, and your relationships with other people and your family. So those little things that you do with normal situations, why would you be abnormal in a classroom? Mm-hmm. That's huge. So, and then my, probably my biggest influence in behavior is not behavior, but a little more psychology with Vygotsky, the zone of proximal development, or proximal, proximal development, I think that's how you say it, um, and allowing the students to know that what they're doing is just beyond them and stretching them, and so preparing a lesson. That's the other thing that stressed me out all the time is what question can I ask what thing can I do that will stretch their brains that will make them go, I don't know the answer yet. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't know. And if they got that, you know, the cognitive dissonance, and they're thinking about something that they don't know the answer about and they're wavering, they don't have any desire to misbehave because their brain is fully onto that thing. You know, so if a kid doesn't think about that, that the question that took so long to find that was just right, just for that one kid, then there's something bigger. And that's, that's usually, you know, conversations and and talking and getting a plan in place. 
because most kids will, almost every kid will say, I don't know the answer and you made me think. And since I'm thinking about that, I don't want to misbehave. Yeah. So going back to one of those, I can't remember the researcher you quoted about clapping. Who was the name? What was the name there? Harry Wong. So, you know, that's a secret clap. That's a secret knock to get into the door. That was, that was everything in my classroom. Well, just because I come back, you know, in the music room, uh, we use lots of things like that for lots of different reasons, right? Not just for attention. But I did notice so many of those strategies had great management uh, properties to them. Yep. So could you give me just a little bit of what how you could use that in, uh, in some of the other general ed classes? Uh, Harry Wong was the clap, and it was the secret clap for that one. Um, specifically, it's a great one because if I do the secret knock or the secret clap, they have to clap back twice. And so we, I do it in the classroom, and they have to put their pencils down. They have to look at me. So I would do it maybe two times, maybe three times. And by that time, everybody's dropped their pencil, paid attention to me, which means I need their attention. If it's abused, it's, it stops working, so you can't do it too often. Yeah. But it's typically once they've started, and I need their attention to tell them something else. But it works for hundreds of people, too. So I've done it for hallway, you know, when we've had a team meeting and you need to get 100 kids. I'll do it once, you know, and the kids around me will hear it. Then next thing you know, got everybody's attention in about three seconds but also for an assembly with an entire school and, you know, it gets all their attention. Um, so I've seen you can scale it. So a lot of times it's things that scale, um, you know, the pause, the weight, you know, the, and then, you know, teachers are going to have that look and the, the mean parent look, but also the, Hey, I'm not too sure what's going on with you. Look, why don't you explain it to me and put the pressure on the kid? Look, mm-hmm. and when the kid feels that pressure, man, they don't like that. They don't, no one likes that pressure of having to explain themselves. And that's that's huge. So mm-hmm. some of those things. So that would that would be probably probably three or four of them. Fred Jones with proximity. When the kid's messing up, you go stand next to him, drop in their name so they know they're paying attention to him, and they have to go, huh? What? Let them know that if I catch you saying huh or what, it means you weren't paying attention, and I will take it personally that you are are not paying attention to me or the situation, and that's not something that I'm okay with, kid. Yeah. And we need to work on that, you know. So they have those expectations. So that's a good one. Harry Wong to get their attention, and then not the mean look, the stink eye, but the look of hey, I'm not sure why you did that. Can you explain it? Because no kid wants to explain what they're doing. They have such a hard time. That's huge pressure for a kid to explain what they're doing. You put that pressure on and they don't want it. So then you're like, do I really need to talk to you? No, no, I'm so sorry. I don't want to talk about this. I'm so I, I'm so sorry. And they'll just walk away and like, really? Do I need to call your parents? No, 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 please. I, do you want to explain what you did there? I can't. I have no idea. Then why did you? I, I don't I can't. Well, how about we just not do it again? Okay. I mean, yeah. that so much backtracking when they, they do that and have to think about it. So I do like enjoy reading academic books that try to describe the differences between the looks or something like that, because it's, <laughs> it's so hard to describe. And we I think some teachers naturally have uh, can mimic those looks and some just struggle with it. And that every every look is like the stink eye and you're in deep trouble. And some they just want to be like, I'm confused or disappointed, you know. But to practice yeah. some of those, and it's not going <laughs> to – for those teachers struggling, you might just use a mirror. It's okay. It's um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Try them out. <laughs> Becoming a great teacher is about being a great leader. If you want to add more leadership to your classroom, try out my book study of Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, available at cpd.nnu.edu. Click See the Course Catalog, then click CPD Online, and select Dare to Lead Book Study to enroll. I, I did, I always tried to impress 
you know, when I taught a whole elementary school and we do a whole elementary school wide music program, we would do that clapping exercise. And I had a few rhythms that I, I did for attention and to have 500 kids do it in unison and then I'll become quiet. And that's a good way to get the community behind you and say, no, there's something going on in this classroom. And it's just something that simple you can do in all sorts mm-hmm. of your classes. But it is more impressive when it's 500 kids and not 30. But yeah, it is quite impressive. Still works with thirty, though. I'm telling you, still that's that's really. I I need to read the research behind it. So, as you've seen, and I'm sure mentored many teachers, what do you think that new teachers struggle with? What's their biggest struggle as they enter the profession? Um, I I don't know. I think a lot of it is is how comfortable they are with themselves. You know. Um, and, and that's, that's huge because kids can see right through you. If you try to be somebody you aren't, then they see through that also. Um, and so you have to be really comfortable with who you are and, and embrace that. You know, I mean, I wore a pocket protector every day to embrace my nerdhood, you know, and I, I was that guy who wore a pocket protector and had Star Wars stuff on my wall. Um, and I shared that with them. Like, here's my picture from ninth grade. You know, I showed them my activity card from ninth grade and said, this is who I was. You could see where I fit, but at the same time, you know, sharing that, that real story, uh, that's, that's why I do the first date. There it is, Jeremy. I just, rem- I just remember Justin, sorry. What I do with my first date is I would pass that card around and say, take a look at me. They all laugh and giggle. Cause I did have, you know, the strap on my glasses nice. and they were busted. Nice. I did have braces. I didn't have to wear the headgear to school. Did have sweet hair and then a, a you know, sweet sweater that I was wearing over a collared shirt. Um, that was, you know, the kids laugh and giggle. Then I say in ninth grade, I grew six inches. You know, I had, I started wearing deodorant. I got contacts and literally teachers marked me absent from one week to the next over a weekend <laughs> because they didn't know who I was. Oh I started getting notes from girls. Um, I was in every accelerated class and every sports team, but no one knew who I was. <laughs> they, I knew who everybody else was, you know, to, to say, Hey guys, I understand these different frameworks. This is where I come from. So then, um, Say I, I kind of been where you've been a little bit, even though it's been a few a few years. I can still feel that. And this is this is who I am. So if you're real with someone, they totally get it. So if you're joking and goofing off, and when they feel that, they they can be themselves. Because if they have to be someone else, then I think that's so dumb. So here's a situation: Where does a kid get choice in what they do, and practice in what they need to do to be better? It's where they choose. I want to join a sport. I want to do an after-school thing. I want to do this thing on their own or with other people of their choice. When we ask them to come to school, do what I tell you. Do what this thing tells you is best. And that is so anti-everything. So if you go to a sports team and they're like, hey, we're going to get better at this. This is what we need to practice on. Kids are in for it. They want it. They love it. And that's what they're doing to get better in the school. And you say, you have to learn this. You didn't learn it right. You're done. No more learning. No more learning for you. You have to stop here. Yeah. You know, why, why would you become the soup Nazi on knowledge? Yeah. You know, so anyhow, I forgot what the question was. Well, I, I want to back up a little bit because I, th- I think you hit something that even I haven't even thought about is teachers need to be comfortable with who they are. And I'm thinking even I started a little later. I want to say I was like, what, 25, 26. A lot of teachers start when they're 21, um, early 20s. It's so hard to know who you are and to be able to embrace that and um, have that confidence as a new teacher is so hard. I don't even know how you could teach that in a workshop. 
So I, w- I would shift it and shift this a little bit and say, all right, guys, I want to learn more about myself this year. What what content does that not? If it's every content, mm-hmm. you know, we're yeah. going to read about that. We're going to look at these things together so that I can learn more about me and I want to learn more about you. Wouldn't that be empowering to a kid yeah. to say for the whole year's theme is like, who am I? Who is my teacher? How do I learn? And let's do it together and have the teacher you know, not up there and say, I know who I am and I'm the best person ever. And nobody's like, you know what guys, I'm, I'm really nervous about this and I'm anxious. And when, when I, what, can you help me out? Then you have the kids help refine you and you help refine the kids. That's that natural symbiotic relationship rather than I'm telling you what to do. You must do as I say, but switching it and saying, I want to learn from you. Can you help me out in this area? And then being very, you know, explicit about it, not sharing anything weird or anything like that, but yeah. Um, making sure students recognize that you're real and foilable, you know. And good to make the distinction, you know, there's some weird stuff that teachers share with kids and it gets awkward. And Oh, my gosh. Do not, show, do not show your, your students that you got a, you're 50 years old and got a tramp stamp tattoo, which happened to my daughter this year. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my daughter's like, yeah, but Dad, my, my teacher turned 50 and got a tramp stamp as a tattoo, and that's what she called it. What is that? And she showed it to us. I know now. That was weird. Why did she do that? And that was so awkward. I'm like, you're right. That was inappropriate. <laughs> so th- there are lines, and uh, the tramp stamp is yes. the line, at least one of them, that no, you should be know. Be professional. Yeah, I need help in this professional area of growing. <laughs> <laughs> you have to there be well is... enough with yourself so you can do that, but don't don't bring personal stuff in too crazy. No. But that's where I think some teachers will lose control of the class because young teachers want to be, you know, they may not go that extreme. That I've never heard of before. But just I'm not going to have a seating chart because I'm cool and you can, you know, you have so much choice in this. And I'm the cool teacher where they need that safety instructor even in high school. And then you give them a simple survey. Are you this way or this way? You give yourself a score. I mean, that's so much fun to do. I, don't, I call it a differentiation survey. Did it with uh, inquiry. How ready are you for inquiry? You know, so I got all these questions about inquiry and you had a score of up to 30 or, you know, as low as zero, of course, find someone who's similar to you just based on inquiry. Yeah. I mean, how often does anyone base, you know, differentiation on inquiry and then like, you know, mix it up the next week, find someone who's opposite and you see those kids who are opposite. And so you find, do the same thing with organization. You can do it with any topic you choose, find questions that will differentiate and sort them that way, resort them and say, all right, today we're resorting. We're going this way. The highs are with the lows. Lows are with the highs. You have to teach each other. What are you going to learn from each other? Yeah. I mean, to, to say, I know who you are, kid. I want you to know who you are and I want you to learn and grow by giving you this experience, which is outside of the classroom in my content, but we're having it in the classroom. But when, when teachers are overwhelmed with just getting the structure of a classroom and they want to do these innovative things, but just keeping them to the basics of seating chart, organization of their outline, knowing what they're going to talk about. I think they can prevent so many disruptions in their classroom, but they want to be, they want to break these walls down. But I think you can only break them down once you have a basic structure of how to teach. Like you need to know the fundamentals and it maybe is a bit more rigid when you first start out, but you, you'll, you'll break that down over time. Yeah. Um, I would say there's a, there's a really neat school Wilder as has a lanyards that the kids earn. This is something you kind of appreciate. So they have different colors and each color represent a certain amount of freedom that the kids are given everything from being able to wear a hat and have headphones. 
Um, or, and they don't have a lunch hour. They have lunch hour, but not assigned lunch hour. So when the, when the lunch hour time is ready, then if you're hungry, you go eat. If you're not hungry, you keep working and mm-hmm. the food will be served until this time. And so the last five minutes you go get your food. I mean, that, oh, that wow. blows up everything. And, uh, you know, to meet this kid who's totally rambunctious and crazy and go, he goes, what, wait a second, what? Uh, everybody has more freedoms than me. I, I want those freedoms changes of behavior. So to earn those different levels, they have to have teacher approval, which is going to be based on, you know, how much homework they turn in, all that stuff. Yeah. But also student council approval. Wow. So their peers have to say, we think you have earned these freedoms and these opportunities also. And so it's, it's a big deal. You know, they, have, they have to apply to move up to the next thing. And to say your behavior, which includes academic and these outside academic things, but we, what we still see in school and stuff, that's going to be, are you nice? Are you polite? No referrals. Are you tardy? Any absences? Stuff like that. Say, you've earned these things. They have like 75% of their high school taking summer school this year because it's not summer school. It's a learning academy. And what else are you going to do with your time? So they go down to the school and learn. And that's way more than they expected. Wow. You know, it's just crazy. So they've got a culture there that changes, you know, and you see these kids in the hallway and they're like, you know, who's your teacher? Where have you been? No, it's like, hey, guys, what are you learning? The principal walks by and they're like, hey, cool. We're out here. We're sitting on the on the couch that's out here. We're, we move the tables out here. We're doing this thing. And and these are our learning goals. and These are our standards. And they've all got these badges that show that they've earned it and they know it, you know, and wow. there's all sorts of neat things that are out there. So there's an innovation but within those rails that are pretty tight. So uh, I know you've seen this movie. You probably lived this movie, Justin. Um, the movie the movie Hitch. Okay. Hitch? I don't think I lived it, but I, I just watched yeah, it a couple I, weeks ago. You, I, you, you could be Hitch. You, know, you, see, you, you probably taught that uh, lesson. You're like, I'm sure someone paid you five bucks. How am I going to meet that girl? Yeah, Justin, yeah. Come on. <laughs> so you remember the dance scene when he's, when he's talking about, you know, some guys are just going crazy and stuff. Yeah. He's like, no, you got to keep it tight. You know, you got to keep it tight. So you have those rails that are tight, but within that, the kids know I have rails Mm -hmm. and you, you innovate or whatever within those things. If you go too crazy, then that, that makes everybody anxious, including Mm -hmm. the students. Yeah. Keep it tight. Okay. Uh, The hitch is our, our framework, hitch dancing lessons, the framework for building innovation. So I'm I'm going to keep that going. (laughs) We'll try to link up some hitch scenes. Um, uh, So, you saw, you given us a whole bunch of, of great resources of classroom management, but do you have a, a single number one top of your list, tried and true? This is what you, if you are struggling, if you're a teacher listening, you're struggling, this is what you should try today. Do you have a, a, a technique? Um, I would say uh, two months in advance of your lesson is when you start that. It takes almost two months to plan a lesson, in my mind. Yeah. I'm planning a lesson 45 minutes, which um, the average you know, kid brain can handle about seven minutes at a time. And that's it. Um, set, you know, Some kids up to 10, some kids only two, but the average is right around seven, whatever. I think there's some brain research that shows that, some book I had. So I plan down to the minute my lessons. Now, knowing that within that rigid time frame of seven minutes, what that means is, I'm going to give time for this to happen to see. So I'm going to ask a question and the question I'm expecting these kind of answers. And then I'm going to allow 85 seconds, which is a minute and a half, almost for kids to share, think, pair, share. Now I expect these things. I expect this. And then that means that. Okay. So I'm going to do a think, pair, share with the question where there is no answer. 
Every kid's individual. They're going to have a mind fight, what I call it a mind fight, where they have to take their idea and share it with someone else, not to beat them up, but to say, I want to be stronger for the next one, take their ideas, teach and learn, and then say, as a classroom, we're doing this. So what question can I ask that's going to be content-related where there is no answer, where I can give a kid who uh, walks in and you can't tell who the special ed kids, you can't tell who the gifted kids are because they're all furiously writing, drawing a picture, whatever. And then when it comes time to the think, pair, share part, they're just going, no, it's like this, like this. Oh, you're right. It is. Let's make it better. Hey class, what do you think? Boom, boom, boom. Now there's a word for that. It's called this. And they go, thanks. We figured there was a word, but we already came up with it because of the question you asked Mm -hmm. and the opportunity. So how can I engage a student with something that will move them closer to where I want to be, but without me telling them the answer. And that's a zone of proximal development. So I would go back to the zone of proximal development. And I consider it like this, you know this much. And what I want to teach you or have you learn it or experience is right out there. So I have to stretch you to get there. Mm-hmm. And so that can, that takes a lot of time. That is the shower time, the drive time, the riding your bike time. And you're going, what am I going to do that allows this to happen? How can I get these things to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, if and then you you know like for example, um, the question is how do you make adults do stuff? How do you can how do you, as a kid how can you convince an adult to do something? And they're like what? <laughs> I'm like yeah you know what what does that have to do with science McKinnon? Well what do you think? And the kids start thinking and I'm like great 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 you know and they come up with all these ideas. Your parents are driving, but how many of you have unsafe drivers as parents? Every kid hands go up. Great. <laughs> You're going to be driving next. You're going to drive as bad as them? No, no, no. How are you going to convince them to drive better? Well, we could do this, this, and this. Great. Now we're going to learn about the physics of car crashes and the physics of driving. And you guys decide how you will convince adults to do this. And that gave them the freedom, the question beforehand, the content. I mean, we do labs and all that stuff. You know, we're going to do all those things. But they were engaged in what they got to choose. So the product is going to look different. The lesson they learn is going to be the same. So getting them personally engaged, um, you know, are you the same person you were when you were born? You're still bald, by the way. So I don't know if you ever had hair. So maybe, you know, you didn't have a beard back then. But, you know, so you looked at that. You don't eat the same food. You don't say the same things. You don't walk, talk, yeah. move the same way. So how do you know you're the same person? Yeah. That's a whole quarter's worth of work on physical and chemical changes. You know, so English, it's easy. Social studies, it's easy. Uh, math is the hard one. Math is always the outlier. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, it's a different way of talking. But if you get that to say, all right, today we're communicating this way, that's, that's what, you know, working on communication skills there. But, you know, PE is the same way and, and all stuff. So that's what I would say is what can you do to engage a kid that will allow them to be personally involved in either showing it or understanding the information? And that takes the time. But if they're doing that, you don't have to. I don't think I've ever sent a kid to that to the principal's office because I've never needed to. Yeah. Well, thanks, Aaron. Thanks for all the time and your uh, great Sorry, stories. Sorry, I talked blah, blah, blah so much. It's fun talking about education stuff. No, man. We love it. I, I think this was really meaningful. And so thank you for your time and uh, look forward to uh, seeing what you do out in the community. And mountain biking when I show up there next time. Better. Better. If you want to take this class for credit, go to pdlearn.nnu.edu and click CPD online, then select PD in pajamas to enroll in the course.